0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Quality Care Talks. Sponsored by the Health Facilities Association of Maryland, HFAM, Quality Care Talks explores leadership, innovation, and the critical issues facing long-term and post-acute care providers serving Marylanders in need. Whether you are a provider, vendor, or consumer, Quality Care Talks will help you navigate the complex and ever-changing healthcare industry.
1: So welcome, everyone, to this edition of the HFAM Quality Care Talks. I'm sitting here with Michael Bronfein, my friend, my colleague, my mentor in many ways. Thanks for welcoming us to the offices of Curio Wellness. Well, thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Listen, we at the HFAM Quality Care Talks are making a point to prepare leaders of the future for innovation in healthcare. And I got to tell you, I'm impressed with what you're doing at Curio Wellness. Tell us about it.
2: Well, what we're trying to do is define a new category of medicine. Uh, Alternative medicine is quite often equated to Eastern medicine uh, versus Western medicine. In Western medicine, we've gotten to the point where we have to understand exactly every element of a mechanism of action or a cause and effect or things of that nature because there is a very heavy focus on safety, which there should be, but also on efficacy and who's going to pay for what? Eastern medicine takes a little bit of a different approach. Their approach is once we understand that it's safe, we don't really have to understand why it works. We just want to make sure that it does work. And I think cannabis is a great example of a plant that has been misunderstood, in fact, vilified for the wrong reasons, when in fact it's got a tremendous amount of medicinal value and has been proven so in places outside of the United States. We want to be among the leaders in bringing Traditional pharmaceutical research, development, and validation to the products that can be derived from this plant and then made into other forms that are traditional doses, pills, capsules, elixirs, ointments, salves, things that people are are accustomed to both being prescribed and prescribing because we think that's the fastest route to conversion from traditional medicine to more uh, alternative or or new age medicine.
1: So it's clear that your experience at Remedy Senior Care and scaling that pharmacy business to, I think, the fifth largest pharmacy serving the Mm -hmm. post-acute long-term market in America is influencing your thinking and how you're staging Curio Wellness really as a pharmaceutical company.
2: Mm -hmm. I would actually say that um, both NeighborCare, my initial pharmacy company, and Remedy uh, both have heavily influenced my thinking here, uh, but in different ways. NeighborCare was about the business model and about how do you create a better service model for your customer. Remedy is really about introducing disruptive technology into the distribution model to improve the customer experience, both in terms of efficacy, accuracy, and cost. And so you kind of take both those experiences and they both apply here. So, for example, we're bringing modern horticulture, science and technology to growing plants so that they're very consistent and very predictable in terms of their physiology, their yield, their outcome, so forth and so on. So some of the remedy learnings have helped there, like our lean management system. Uh, I learned lean. Uh, when we began to implement the robots and realized that we needed a systematic approach to continuous quality improvement. That's what lean really is. It avoids waste, and it helps you focus on what are the critical factors that are going to give you low levels of variability and high levels of quality.
1: You know, Michael, the listeners of HFAM Quality Care Talks, they're physicians, they're mm-hmm. healthcare providers, they're operators in hospitals, skilled nursing and rehab centers, assisted living Uh, Involved in the whole continuum of care and, of course, providing quality care one Marylander at a time here in Maryland. Together, just the skilled nursing and rehab centers that are members of HVAM Mm -hmm. are providing almost 6 million days of care a year here in Maryland across all payer sources. So if you had to speak to them directly, and you are today via this Mm -hmm. podcast, what would you say is the problem that Curio Wellness is seeking to solve? It's
2: really twofold. One is we want to shine a bright light on this plant and its medicinal value using science and data and third-party variability. So it doesn't matter what we say. It matters what our scientists say, what our third-party testing labs say, what the regulators say, so we can give people comfort that they are in fact ingesting or utilizing a product that is going to be both safe, effective, and reliable. That's the first thing. The second thing is, we believe that businesses only really succeed when they're at scale. And so if you look at neighbor care or you look at Remedy or you look at some of the other businesses that we've been involved in, we're not interested in building lifestyle businesses. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not our interest. So we want to build businesses that can become very large and can help lots and lots of patients. So the bigger we can get the business, the more we can reinvest in research and development and create a virtuous cycle of profits New investments, new investments, new products, new products, new discoveries. New discoveries, new indications solved, people feeling better, having a higher quality of life. Because we think, personally, that the pharmaceutical industry has lost its way a little bit. It's become too narrowly focused on too specialized, and it's not focusing on cost-effective products that improve your quality of life. It's trying to cure a lot of very, very narrow indications that are certainly important to people. And and if you have that illness, you want to be cured. But the truth is, it may not really be cost effective for society. It may be great if you can afford it. But that's a whole different discussion. There's There's a whole discussion that we think is going to happen as this industry evolves about the ethics of medicine. And we want to be at the forefront of that, because we think that we can provide people with a much higher quality of life at a much lower cost using cannabis-based medicines.
1: Well, as the United States ages and as we look at utilization and the integration of healthcare, solutions going forward that will bend the cost curve, produce greater clinical outcomes, mm-hmm. and be consumer-friendly are going to be huge because we, we can't work. Otherwise. And they have to be lean. Correct. <laughs> if they're not lean, they're not going to work. So Medical cannabis is relatively new to the United uh, to the United States, actually, United States. And, and to Maryland specifically. What's the current sort of market penetration in the United States, and what's the room to grow if you're going to do it the right way with the mindset of pharmaceuticals, consumer-focused, that quality? So, under the current
2: Maryland regime, which I think is one of the best in the country, approximately two to two and a half percent of the general population at any one time would be a candidate for a medicinal product derived from cannabis. And one of the myths about cannabis is that you're you're going to get high from a cannabis-based drug. That is not necessarily true. Hmm. In fact, you can have a drug that has small amounts of THC, delta-9, the the compound that causes a psychoactive effect, along with a, a CBD dose, and feel no psychoactive effect. But the THC interacts with the CBDs in what's called the entourage effect and it effectively unlocks the potency of the CBDs. Uh, again, we don't know why that occurs, but we know it, it absolutely does occur. And there are scientists today that are beginning to study that. You you may know uh, there's a new product out by GW Pharmaceuticals, Epidiolex, which is a, a drug for a very rare form of epilepsy in children. It's a cannabis-based product. It's the first Product approved by the FDA that is made from the cannabis plant, not a synthetic or metaphor version, but an actual derived product. So there's now going to a controversy that is is kind of been solved because one of the reasons why the, the federal government had a cannabis on Schedule One is because "quote unquote" there was no validated medical use. Well, that's no longer true. Right. Right. So I think we're at an age of of transformation and migration, and probably I would say somewhere over the next. Two years at the best case and five years at the worst case, all the controversy of cannabis will be
0: gone.
1: What are the barriers now that you think prohibit or cause providers to pause in bringing medical cannabis to their settings? What do you you think holds them back? The federal-state conflict. I mean, it's illegal at the federal
2: level. And if you're a Medicare payee or you're a Medicaid payee, you probably have some concern. Mm -hmm that if you're participating in the dispensing, the utilization, or some other participation with cannabis, that you may put your your license to do business with the government in jeopardy. Except there is no known case of that ever happening. Did
1: Congress act on some respect with regard to that?
2: Yes. Th- there's a current law that gets reappropriated every year called the Blumenauer Act, which basically says if you are doing business in a state where the state has legalized cannabis – recreationally adult use or medicinally, and you're following the state laws, the federal government cannot interfere with you. They cannot prosecute you. You're exempt from federal law. That's incredible. Yeah. So it was important to my family and I, when we started to go into this business, to really examine the laws carefully, because we weren't going to put our estate at risk, if you will, just to try and be an innovator. There's plenty of other places we could innovate. Right. right? But my, my oldest daughter, who really instigated this, and as my partner in this business, along with my other daughter and son, she came from the television and branding world, marketing, um, and she did a bunch of research and persuaded me that, in fact, that we could do this without risk because of that law. We went to a couple different law firms and, in fact, confirmed that. So the truth of the matter is you're starting to see hospitals like UPMC in Pittsburgh who are now actively doing research. There are other hospitals that are afraid of it because they think it's going to interfere with their Medicare reimbursement. But the fact is, is that I think that's a false fear. Is
1: that think, the biggest uh, thing that keeps you up at night? What keeps you up at night as you create and it's so heavily invested in really an unprecedented way because it's scalable, because you're not building a lifestyle business? You're feeling <laughs> as scalable as this clearly. Yeah. You have taken steps that you did not need to take in setting up Curio Wellness. So considering all of that, is there something that keeps you up at night? Just the... Um, amount of time it takes to get things done.
2: I have no concern about the viability of this sector as a legitimate medicinal product. I have no concern that research and development will yield new and effective products. And I have no concern that the consumer is gonna consume them in much larger quantities than we ever expected. What bothers me is everything takes a lot of time. And I'm impatient by nature. And I don't think that sometimes we need to take as much time to get things done. But there are a lot of hurdles regulatory, social attitudes, other things that just cause delays. So so time is really the thing that I
1: spend the most time worrying about. So I, would, I guess it's a correct assumption to say that you are bullish on medical cannabis going forward? I'm extremely bullish on it. And I'm extremely
2: bullish because I've already seen through the eyes of the patient, extraordinary results with not extraordinary products. In other words, right now, most products, including ours, are still relatively general in nature. They're not really specifically geared to a specific health indication, but are general anti-pain, anti-inflammatory, so forth. But I can tell you from direct testimony whose people's lives have been changed, we have a large number of people who are using our Elixir product to wean their patients off of opioids very effectively. We see kids, particularly teenage epileptics, who are now sleeping and, and, and are engaged in activities because they're taking a calibrated five milligram pills under a doctor's regime. We are now uh, about to do our first controlled study uh, with a sleeping aid, which would be our first indication-specific product. And I'm very excited about that because it's going to give us an opportunity, one, to understand more about how to do controlled studies with cannabis, Two, we're going to have 480 people who all qualify as insomniacs in different ways. And three, we'll be able to measure through this process what helps you go to sleep, what helps you stay to sleep, and what makes you wake up refreshed or not. And so that's going to be real scientific data that for the first time we can present in a paper and we can can put out to the public and say, look, criticize it if you want. Agree with it if you want, but here it is. It's just the data we collected. Um, And hopefully it'll result in
1: a a great product. So you mentioned something. You mentioned the current opioid crisis across the country. Mm -hmm. It's without a doubt one of the greatest public health tragedies in the history of our country. Correct. Do you see a role in medical cannabis in a systematic way to be part of the solution for the opioid crisis? Is there any statistical backing for that? So the answer is there is no data
2: that you can point to. So this is where Western medicine versus Eastern medicine. comes in. Remember when I said Eastern medicine tends to be a little less sanctimonious, if you will, Mm -hmm. about we got to have the data. We got to understand every element of it, right? If it works for enough people and it doesn't hurt anybody, it becomes much more accepted in an Eastern medicine regime. And I think what we're seeing is, for example, there's a physician, a uh, Dr. Apgar, out in Columbia, who has had a very, very high rate of reduction of opioid use by her patients through a combination of cannabis-based medicines, ours and some others, right? Now, remember, people aren't smoking anything here. Right. In our case, they're taking either a dosed liquid or a precise pill in various regimens and various combinations at various levels as they wean off the opioid. I saw a video, you can go onto Greenhouse Wellness's website and see a gentleman who said he was he was an opioid addict for six years. He has not touched an opioid in months now, once he was weaned off using cannabis-based drugs. He feels better, he feels like he's got his life back, he's not in the haze, and his pain is certainly controllable. One of the things that I think's happened in America is we've become a little soft. You know, pain it used to be, hey, you got pain, you know, so take a couple aspirin or an advil, or whatever. You know, it's pain. We all have it, right? Well Everybody wanted their pain extinguished, and that's why opioids, in my view, became so prevalent and, as a result, overprescribed. We think we have an alternative that may not be quite as effective at managing that pain, but it's pretty damn good. And so instead of maybe your pain being on a scale of eight, maybe it's a scale of four, whereas opioids would take it down to a two or a zero, but you can live with a four. You could. Yeah, you can. And you're not an addict anymore. It's true. You know, it's interesting. It used to be called a gateway drug by, by the, the adversaries of cannabis, it's now calling an exit drug by a lot of different policy people.
1: You went from zero to worldwide expert on medical cannabis. Like, How much did you know at the start? First of all, I would not consider myself an expert. I would consider myself a working
2: process right. that's maybe more knowledgeable today than I was three years ago. But every day I'm drinking from a fire hose of new information, and I'm loving it because it's just making me smarter, better, faster, more capable. So, for example, I was away last week, and my wife saw this book. Right. Right? Right. So she bought it for me. So I started reading it. What is it? It is literally a guide to every known strain out there. Of cannabis. Of cannabis. Its lineage, what it smells and tastes like, what its common effects are, and what's the top medicinal uses. Got it. Right? So sativas, indicas. Uh, the whole bit. The whole bit. And what that, that here. What that allows me to do is when somebody comes into my office and says, Well, we want to do this or do that, and I say, Well, I don't really know anything about that. Now I've got a guide, I because she would hear me say, you know, they came in today and they want to do X. I'm like, What do you think? I don't know what the hell they're
1: talking right. about. Right. What are they talking about? You know,
2: and so actually the manufacturing part of this business has been easy for me because right. I, I know pharmaceuticals and I've been around laboratories and manufacturing either as a banker or uh, owner of a company that does manufacturing or just in general life you learn things. But the whole horticulture piece is still very, very new to me, very interesting because you're dealing with living products. It's like, it's like raising cattle or any other thing that where you know, you've got the vagaries of a physiology that is right. not exacting. But it's incredibly interesting in that what I'm learning is That through modern technology and data management, we are able to manipulate the plant, and I use that word specifically, but in a positive way, to be healthier, to have a higher yield, and to be more valuable through nothing but the environment and the growing and the nutrient techniques. No pesticides, no GMO, no insecticides, no artificial anything. That's incredible. It's a completely organic plant. There is nothing in here
1: At all, that could hurt anybody. It's incredible. For those of you listening, you're listening to Joe D'Amatos, the president and the CEO of the Health Facilities Association of Maryland and HFAM Quality Care Talks. And today we are at the offices of Curio Wellness, speaking with its founder and CEO, Michael Bronfine. So, Michael, I got to ask you, you went to University of Baltimore. I did. You studied accounting, uh, became a CPA, and you've become this the serial entrepreneur. How does that happen? What, what, what's the pathway that leads to that? Fear of failure. Was it really? <laughs>
2: well, I, I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I didn't really have any plan. I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. I'm not sure I even like that term, to be honest with you. I think I'm just a guy that felt like I wanted to be able to control my destiny. I wanted to have financial independence, and I only wanted to work in things that were interesting. I get bored really easily. My kids always call me the ADD dad. And they're right about that. And so I love kind of taking on challenges to solve problems that others either haven't been willing to take on or haven't been able willing to solve. But I believe fundamentally the facts support a solution. And the, the solution just hasn't been found yet. So, you know, we, we started, uh, you know, kind of with neighbor care. And we came up with a different business model there using some IT. I was an early investor in cloud-based computing, uh, what, we, you know, what we now know as the cloud. I've invested in disruptive technologies in the intensive care unit, in the nursing home. We developed the, the remedy Paxit robots, and they're disrupting uh, chronic care, not just in institutionally, but in the retail world as, as well. And now what we want to do is, is disrupt traditional medicine with new alternative medicine that is safe, effective, and reliable, but much more cost-effective for quality of life use.
1: What would be the three or four things you would tell an up-and-coming leader in healthcare in terms of them, they're focused and evolving as a leader in healthcare?
2: Well, I would say, first of all, really a focus on intellectual honesty. It's really hard to be intellectually honest. And what do I mean by that is, the world is the way the world is. The facts are the facts. We can rationalize why things happen and why they didn't, but every outcome is the result of a choice that somebody made, right? So if something doesn't go the way you want, it's because you made a choice that didn't work out have the courage of your of your decision and understand why and learn from it right look i make a gazillion mistakes i mean you could wallpaper this room with all my mistakes but i try not to make the same mistake twice that's a really important thing to learn because if you're not making mistakes you're not thinking about new novel creative or better ways to do things cuz it's, it's very comfortable to, to not experiment and to do the same thing all the time. But yesterday in my team meeting, my theme of my meeting yesterday was I hate inertia. We just started the second half of our year. We spent the first half of our year getting our production facility and our production cadence as a predictable outcome-based kind of activity. Now we need to focus on sales and marketing. Momentum. And, and creating momentum, right? So – It doesn't matter what we did yesterday. It's irrelevant. It's what are we going to do tomorrow and how are we going to do it? And what are we going to learn from the past? That's really important. So we avoid those mistakes, but we have the courage of our conviction. We follow the facts. We follow the data. And we don't try and rationalize why things are. We just accept that one is one. It's not two and it's not four. It's one. And that may sound overly simplistic. But let me tell you, it's a really hard concept to get people to embrace. It is really, really hard. So if you look on my wall there, we have Brown finds rules of engagement, right? Well, number one is the only behavior you control is your own. That's true. I'm going to take a picture of that before I leave. I'm a control freak. I admit to it. But the only behavior I try to control is my own because it's the only one I'm certain I can control. I have 100% certainty there. Everybody else, the best I can do is be a heavy influencer or, or a pain in the you know what. Right? Right. But I can control my own behavior. So the second thing I can do is I can face reality because it improves the chances I'm going to be able to affect it then. yep. If I don't face it, I can't fix it. Right, right. That's what intellectual honesty is. So when you put those two together, that's a very powerful set of tailwinds to help you go wherever you want
1: with a lot less activity or, or opposition than you think. And useless activity. Yeah. It really uh, is a focusing mechanism also. So listen, I, I would be making a big mistake as the head of HFAM if I didn't ask you, based on your experience in accounting and finance, investing, neighbor care, scaling remedy, and your background on whether you're bullish or bearish on the future of post-acute and long-term care? I'm very bullish on it,
2: but I'm not bullish on it as it is today. I'm bullish on it as a set of very smart, caring people who will constantly evolve and figure out what we need to do to first, in our lifetime, deal with the baby boomers. Right. I'll be dead when they're done. So in, in my lifetime, not. well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a but long anyways, cycle. It's, right. a, it's a lot of people. Right. The point is, is that in the almost 30, let's see, I got into long-term care in 1986. So what's that, 33 years ago? Yeah. Okay. In the 33 years, I've been in, in long-term care, and I didn't get into long-term care because I was passionate about chronic care or the elderly or anything else. It just happened by chance. But I fell in love with it because I saw how the people in this industry are so passionate about making a difference in the lives of the people they deal with. And I saw it when it started out. I got into the business just when the medically complex patient was becoming the focus of the business model. Great timing. Yeah. And so in our company, we developed, for example, a very strong infusion therapy capability that included education and training to help nursing facilities train their folks so they could take people from the hospital and provide post-acute care for a medically complex patient. I've seen how rehab has evolved. I've seen how all these different sub-procedures of what happened in the hospital have moved to a more intimate and lower cost setting, right? And I think that that has to continue to occur. I think there's going to be a need for more technology. It has to expand. Yeah, yeah. And I also think that we have to really rethink the entire regulatory regime. We have a regulatory regime for 1960 nursing homes. We have 2,020 care facilities. They're different. We don't need all of this prescribed, you do this, then you do that, then you do the other. We ought to be looking at the quality indicators and the outcomes and making sure that that's what people are focused on. Because I can tell you from our experience here with Lean, we're heavily regulated, very, very heavily regulated. But it's not hard to deal with it because we're focused on a certain set of quality objectives and outcome objectives. And so the prescription is not necessary. It's there. We, we live by it, but it really isn't what's guiding us. The problem is too much of the payment system has been tied to all those prescription things. So if I were Mark Parkinson and Joe D'Amato's, I'd be lobbying at the state level and the federal level for a completely different regulatory regime.
1: Deem status, some sort right. of deem status. Well, right.
2: Which rewards the operators who really get great results on whatever it is they're doing, whether it's rehab or drug therapy or ventilate. It doesn't matter what it is because everybody can measure a quality outcome or not. Now, people will say, well, you know, there's all these different physiology issues and it's hard and this, that, and the other. I don't buy any of that. I believe you can get within a relevant range for 85, 90% of the people out there that are going to fall within that when they need a certain kind of care. Yeah, there's going to be outliers, but let, let's focus on how we can make a difference for the 90% of the population, and we'll deal with the 10 And let's focus on clinical outcomes and bending the cost curve as a dual mandate. When I was, for a very short time, the CEO of Remedy, I was astounded at the amount of procedures that nurses and nurses' aides and LPNs had to go through in the drug administration process that had no value to the patient, to the facility, or to the pharmacy. They were just prescribed by the federal or state government because somebody had something went wrong at one time and somebody just piled another rule on and Mm -hmm. another rule and another rule and another rule. Right. And stripping all that away, I think, could one, dramatically lower the cost of care and two, dramatically improve the profitability of the industry so more money could be put into innovation and care. And, you know, it's a difficult situation because I think politicians don't want to really take any risk. And it's hard to say we're going to throw away this bad system. What we really need to have is CMS, you know, allow for some real demonstration projects where somebody rewrites the rules. I don't know that that'll happen in my lifetime, but if I were in charge, that's what I would
1: do. I think it, I think it will happen in our lifetime because I think it'll become a necessity. You know, the boomers have changed everything they've touched in the marketplace. <laughs> right. And as consumers, whether they're consumers of a healthcare product mm-hmm. uh, or a healthcare setting, or consumers as voters. They're going to demand those changes, and so I think we will see it in our lifetime. Listen, you have been absolutely tremendous in the insights that you've shared with me today, and I respect you just so deeply uh, for what you've done, what you are doing, and what you will do. We haven't even gotten into today on what you've done for the Baltimore Symphony or the Sadaka you do in the community uh, and all the stuff that you do to make Maryland a better place. But let me just call out here on the podcast that it's a lot, and it's deeply appreciated, uh, and we thank you. For that, So Curio Wellness, how can people find you? Where can they look you up? How can they understand either as consumers or as healthcare professionals to plug into the information, the resource that is Curio Wellness? Well,
2: first of all, thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate it. Uh, Your generosity is is great. Uh, Curio Wellness, www.curiowellness.com. Our website provides encyclopedia of information on what medicinal cannabis is about how it impacts the human body, how you should consider it or not. You know, it's not going to be for everybody. And we have a dispensary on York Road in Timonium where we have an excellent pharmacist and clinician, Brian Sanderoff, who not only is leading that effort, but is really leading the whole educational development in the state of Maryland. He's developed a patient care advisor educational program, which we utilize which is now being uh, offered to all the other dispensaries in the state at the request of the state. So we're very proud of what he's done. And it's in keeping with our vision of just trying to set standards for quality and transparency and accountability that we can be proud of and others can emulate.
1: And at Curial Wellness on York Road at the retail location, don't you offer other Eastern medicine approaches as well? Yeah,
2: well, our dispensary is really not a dispensary in the traditional sense. It's a wellness center So we have a holistic pharmacy, staffed by a pharmacist. Uh, We have a yoga studio. We have acupuncture. We have massage therapy and we have specialized
1: estheticians all working in a coordinated fashion for someone's wellness and well-being. Nobody has that in Maryland, my friend. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm in your debt yet again. Oh, well, thank you, Joe.
0: I really
2: appreciate
1: the time.
0: Thank you for joining us on Quality Care Talks. We would love your feedback on today's episode. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes. Quality Care Talks is produced by the Health Facilities Association of Maryland, the state's oldest and largest nationally affiliated association of skilled nursing and rehabilitation centers. For more information, visit www.hfam.org.